Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. The following is a true story of uh, our middle child, Stella, and uh, I have her permission to to share it. Uh, This happened a a few years ago when Stella was about four or five years old. She was in uh, SK, as I recall. It's a Sunday night, and uh, we had just gotten back from a visit to Heather's parents. Heather's parents are called Nana and Papa in our home, and, and Stella has a particular like affection for, for Nana. Stella loves her Nana, and she always has, and she did not want to come home with us that night. She wanted to stay with Nana, even though she was going to school the next day. So when we got home that night, we're putting Stella to bed, she's, she is like lost it, and she wants to see Nana. She wants to go back. She actually wanted us to drive her back to Nana's house, and she didn't want the rest of us to come in. She just wanted to go and be with Nana. Okay? No matter what we said, we could not change her mind. She's like, it's not fair. How long before I can go see Nana? Why can't I go see Nana? It's not fair. It's not right. And, and in Stella's five-year-old brain, this is suffering. This is unjust. This is not, it's not fair. It's not right. And this went on for some time, all right? Quite, like a, at least a couple of hours. Heather and I are looking at each other going like, what are we going to do here? So we, I, thought, I had this idea, let's make this a teachable moment. So I just, we decided we're going to give Stella exactly what she wants. And so what I, what, I went back to Stella's room and she's in bed and she's crying and calling for Nana. And I said, Stella, get your boots on, get your hat and your mitts and your, your coat on. Meet me on the front porch. You're going to go see Nana. I met Stella on the porch, and I explained, I, I pointed down our street, so we're outside, we're on our porch, and I pointed down our street to King Street, and I said, down, down there is King Street. If you walk down there, and you get on King Street, and you turn left, and you walk for about an hour, you'll get to the Highway 6 exit. When you get to the Highway 6 exit, turn right, and take Highway 6, and if you walk north for about 7 or 8 hours... You'll be pretty close to Nana's, and if you stand at the side of the road and you stick your thumb out, probably a truck driver is going to pick you up, and if you ask him to take you to Nana's, there's a really good chance you'll get there, okay? We're not going to stop you. You can go see Nana if you want. If that's what you really want, we're not going to stop you. You can go see Nana. Well, wouldn't you know it, about a minute later, Stella is in bed uh, without a peep. And, 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 you know, we didn't expect Stella's five-year-old brain to be able to compute all the reasons why the answer for her, to her request was no. We didn't expect that of her. But it was interesting that all of a sudden, when she could have the one thing that she wanted most, she didn't want it after all. And I think that that happens to us sometimes. Sometimes the thing that we think is best turns out not to be best for us. Isn't that true? Sometimes the thing that we think is best turns out not to be best for us. Now, as we continue through Habakkuk this morning, we are going to be focusing on his first prayer at the beginning of chapter 1. And if there's one thing that I would love to happen this morning, one goal, one thing that happens, one thing that takes place for us, the one thing that I would love to happen for us this morning is that this message prepares us to suffer well. Like, my prayer would be that this message prepares us to receive it when God's answer for our prayers is sometimes no. I think that that would be really great. So, what I want to do this morning is come at this passage 
under a few different headings. First of all, we want to see what, what is it that Habakkuk sees and then what he feels, what he wants, what he believes. We'll pause for a, a bit of a parenting illustration and then we'll talk about God's response. Okay, we'll end with God's response. So let's begin with what the prophet sees. Now, if you were with us last week, we put a, a, a painting up on the, on the screen and we talked about what we saw. We, we asked, what do you notice about that? And that works when you, when you, are, when you have a, a painting that you're staring at. It also works when you have a passage in front of you that you're staring at. And if, I, if, we, if we asked each other, like, what is it that you see? What do you see going on here in this passage? You would be able to identify, for example, that in verse 2, there's violence. I, why do I cry to you? How long? I, I'm going to cry to you about violence and you don't save. In, in verse 3, there's injustice and, and wrongdoing. And Habakkuk sees oppression and violence. He sees conflict and he sees strife. Okay, that's what Habakkuk sees. In verse 4, Habakkuk sees that, uh, he, he says, the wicked restrict the righteous. That's what's going on. The wicked restricts the righteous. He sees that justice is perverted. Justice is being twisted and corrupted. So there's no justice. These are some of the things that Habakkuk sees. And, and we should ask, how did this happen? And um, I think it's going to be helpful to, to hear a bit of the backstory. <clears throat> in fact, the story is told in 2 Chronicles 36. That shortly before this, Egypt has taken over Judah. And, and the Egyptian pharaoh, his name is Nico, he put King Jehoiakim on the throne of Judah in order to be sort of a, a, a puppet king. And so uh, Jehoiakim, is a, he's a bad king. He, he taxes Judah heavily and he takes the money from the rich and the poor and he sends it to Egypt. He worships the Egyptian gods. He, um, he, uh, and he, and he, and he says, there's nothing that, that, that the God of Israel can, can do or say to stop me. In fact, I came across a Jewish historian who said that um, Jehoiakim is arguably the most evil and immoral king ever descended from the house of David. Jehoiakim's hatred was pathological. He purposely wore garments of linen and wool to violate the commandment. He tried to have his foreskin reattached. Yep. He tried to have his foreskin reattached. He engaged in all sorts of sexual excesses. He kidnapped women and tortured their husbands to death in front of their eyes. He assaulted women and ultimately killed them too before finally confiscating their property. He was the Jewish Caligula. And it was a reign of terror. That's who is king of Judah at, at this time. And his corruption and evil has spread throughout the nation. This is the guy who's in charge at the time of Habakkuk. And so evil is all that he sees. That's what he sees. Now let's talk about what the prophet feels. Because he doesn't hide his feelings. You can actually tell what he feels based on what he prays. Because he's, he's got some big feelings, for example, about the world. He feels the world is broken. The world is, is corrupt. And all of this violence and strife and, and conflict, he says in verse 3 that it's, it escalates. It's escalating. It's going from bad to worse. Right before God's eyes. All these things are happening. God's not doing anything about it. In fact, it's just getting worse. He's got some feelings about God's law. In, in verse 4, Habakkuk says that the law is ineffective. 
Some, some versions, it's powerless. It's, it is, uh, it's impotent. It's useless. And, and Habakkuk is like, I, I thought that God's law is perfect. It's not, it's not working. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. That's a very serious statement. That's, that's bordering on blasphemy. Well, that's how Habakkuk feels. He's got some big feelings about God himself. He, he, his feeling is, God isn't listening. God should be listening, but he doesn't. God doesn't save us. God, I, I wish that he would. God's supposed to love us. He's supposed to save us, but he, he won't. He, he's like, I, I thought that God was too pure to look on evil. Well, he's just, he's looking on it. He's not doing anything about it. He's just tolerating all of this. Not only does he tolerate all this evil, he's forcing me to watch, Habakkuk says. And so his conclusion, his, his feeling is that all, everything's wrong, everything's broken, and none of this makes sense. And friends, that's the problem of evil and suffering. It works like this. Either God can stop all of this meaningless evil and suffering, all this pain and suffering that that has no point, either God can stop it and he chooses not to, in which case he's not good, or God wants to stop all of this meaningless pain and suffering, he wants to, but he can't, in which he's not God. And that's a serious problem. That's a serious problem. For for a lot of people, this is like an an intellectual uh, deal breaker. A lot of people will leave the Christian faith because of the intellectual problem that evil and suffering are. That's certainly the story for a scholar named uh, Dr. Anthony Pinn. He he studied theology and he studied systemic uh, racism. Led him to writing God's obituary. And in it he says this. He says... What my religion, understood as faith, required a happy face in front of tragedy, a commitment to joy despite the circumstances. Faith is the answer before the question is asked. Once I could no longer find a way to theologically maintain God and hold on to the significance of my historical moment, letting go of God was natural. Do you hear that? Letting go of God was natural. Of course it was. Of course it was. If I had been taught all my life to suppress my questions and ignore my doubts and and pretend that these things make sense and call that faith, if that's what I had been taught, I might have let go of God as well. And, And it seems to me Habakkuk is almost there. He's not there, but he's almost there. He wants something. And I want to see that next. I want to see what is it that the prophet wants? What does Habakkuk want? Here, what I'm interested in is, like, Habakkuk, if you could have your way, what would you do? Like, what do you, what do you want to see happening? What, do you want, what are you asking for now, Habakkuk? And again, we can tell this from his prayers. There's really two main questions that Habakkuk is asking here. The first one, in verse 2, is how long? How long must I call for help and you don't listen? How long is it going to be like this? You see that? How long am I going to cry out and you don't save? Now, that's not a rhetorical question. That's him asking, God, it is too much. Please listen. Please respond. Please save us. You say you love us. Prove it. Do something. All right? It's not rhetorical. It's a a real request. Then in verse 3, the prophet says, he asks the question, why? 
Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate evil? Why do you tolerate these things? Again, that's not rhetorical. That's a, that's a request. He's asking, why is this happening? Why, why is this happening in the world that, uh, of which you are God? Make it stop. Come on, like you're, you're God. Do something. That's, that's Habakkuk's prayer. When I think about uh, this portion of, of Habakkuk, it, uh, it reminds me of a movie that I saw a bunch of years ago called The Grey, starring uh, Liam Neeson. How many of you have seen that movie, The Grey? Uh, not a kid's movie, I'll say, but um, it, it tells the story of a guy, Liam Neeson's character, he's lived a rough life, and uh, he, he let go of his faith in God a long, long time ago. And uh, one day, he's on an airplane, with a crew of a whole bunch of other guys in the plane, and they're all like rough dudes. The plane crashes in northern Alaska, and they set out on this journey to get from the the crash site to this place where they can be rescued. Except on the journey, one by one, each of the survivors is picked off by wolves. And when the last guy gets taken by these wolves, Liam Neeson's character gives up and he falls down, he collapses in the snow and he finally cries out to God in the fir- for the first time in the whole movie. And you know what he says? He says, do something. Do something. Come on, prove it. Forget faith, earn it. Show me something real. I need it now. Not later, now. Show me and I'll believe in you till the day I die, I swear. I'm calling on you. I'm calling on you. And Liam Neeson's character waits for an answer to the prayer, and he, he doesn't hear or see anything. There's no change. And so he decides, forget it. I'll do it myself. And it seems to me we do that, don't we? So, some, some people will they'll maybe trip over the, the intellectual problem of evil, For some people, it's going to be the personal experience of suffering that proves to be too much. And and some people are going to decide, I'm on my own. But that's not Habakkuk. That's not Habakkuk. Habakkuk is going to stick, and I would love for us to see why. We've seen what the prophet sees, and what he feels, and what he wants. Now let's talk about what the prophet believes. What he believes. I just think this is so helpful. In, in all of Habakkuk's prayers, in all of his questions, Habakkuk makes a really big assumption. And, and I'd love for us to see what that is. He assumes, in his prayers, he's assuming that God has answers. He assumes, in, in his questions, he's assuming that there are answers and that God has them. Why does he assume that? Maybe God has answers, maybe God doesn't. Not everybody believes that. God hasn't said anything to Habakkuk yet. Habakkuk just sort of like instinctively cries out, how long before you save us? How long? Now, that question, how long, that assumes that this is going to end sometime. Well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. How does, how does Habakkuk know that? Who, who says that this pain and suffering is going to end? But that's the assumption. That's the assumption Habakkuk makes. He assumes there's got to be a plan that all of this is happening according to to that plan. Habakkuk isn't an open theist. 
Habakkuk is sure that, that God has numbered the hairs of his head. He's numbered the stars in the sky. Habakkuk knows that not even a sparrow falls to the ground without God's permission. And what I think is really cool is that a suffering person who asks how long is a suffering person who has faith that there's a plan. You hear that? A suffering person who cries out, how long, is a suffering person who believes that there's a plan and who believes that the one who made the plan, God, can answer the question, how long? In the same way, Habakkuk asks the question, why? He asks how long, he also asks why. Why do you watch us suffer? Why are things the way they are? Well, who says that there has to be a why? Lots of people don't believe that things happen for a reason. Lots of people think that this is all meaningless. Why can't this all be meaningless suffering? Why can't things just happen? Why can't this all just be a test like in Islam? Why do suffering and, and, and pain, why does it have to mean something? Well, Habakkuk assumes that it does. That's why he's asking why. His question assumes that there's an answer. He, he trusts that everything happens according to God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. He assumes that in all things, God is working these things together for the good of those who love him. And it seems to me that a, a, a suffering person who asks the question, why? A person who asks the question, why? Is a person with faith that, a, that an answer to the question, why, exists. And that if there's anybody who can answer the question, why? It's God. That's so important. I, th- and I think it's so helpful. I don't think that it fixes our suffering. It doesn't make suffering uh, easier, but it certainly shows that when things are bad and we cry out to God and we take our confusion and we take our pain and our, and our, our fear and our anger to God, when we do that, that is not a sign of unbelief. That's faith. That's faith. That's not, that's not quitting on God. That's relationship. Uh, in fact, I think it would be helpful to share an illustration from parenting, okay? I think we can really make this point clear about why the answer is sometimes no. Imagine being a parent, okay? Some of you are parents, but imagine you are mom and dad in the situation that I described earlier, okay? And Stella is freaking out. She's inconsolable, crying out for her nana. And you only want what's best for Stella. So you're good. You're a good parent. You also have the ability to give her what, is, what she wants. You have the ability to do what's best. So she's crying out for Nana. What are you going to do? And I bet you could think of a few reasons why sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is no. And one of the reasons why the answer is sometimes no is because maybe you're protecting her. Maybe it's protection. Stella doesn't realize that it's a school night. And if she stays up too late, she's going to have a hard time at school tomorrow. And if she, if she does poorly in school, and if this becomes a pattern, she's going to be ill-prepared for life later on. So saying no, in, in this way, saying no is a, is a way of saying, I know that this isn't what you want, but this small pain that you're experiencing right now is, is how I'm protecting you from pain down the road later in life. So maybe it's protection. Maybe it's protection for somebody else. Maybe it's protection for Nana. Because, like, suppose we get in the car and we drive Stella those two hours. Well, if she gets to have a visit with Nana by 11 or 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning, 
It's going to be Nana who's crying out how long. It's going to be Nana who's crying out why. It's going to be Nana who is suffering. You know what I'm saying? At five years old, we don't expect Stella to understand that if we relieve her suffering, that actually means someone else has to suffer for her. And that's sort of the way too, isn't it? Sometimes saying no to one person, to one person's prayer is how God is saying yes to another person's prayer. So sometimes God is protecting somebody else. Maybe that's why the reason is no. Another reason the answer might be no is because maybe it just wouldn't be fair. Maybe it just wouldn't be fair or just because Nana happens to have eight other grandkids. And, and, and some of them live out by Ottawa. And if Stella gets to see any time that she wants, that's not fair to the rest of the grandkids. And so sometimes when God says no, what he's saying is, I love you. I love all of you. I love all of you equally. I don't play favorites. You're, you're all my favorite. And if I were to say yes to this, that wouldn't be fair. Another reason the answer might be no is that maybe it's not the right time. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe, for all, for all Stella knows, maybe the reason your answer this time is no is because you actually have a plan that Stella doesn't realize where you're going to take her next weekend and she's going to get to spend the whole weekend with Nana. And you can't do both. And so in cases like this, maybe God's answer is not so much no, but not now. I actually, I have a plan here and it's going to be, it's something that you're going to enjoy far, far more. It's going to, something you're going to like far better. Uh, a fifth and I think final reason why I think sometimes the reason is no is maybe it's discipline. I think that sometimes the answer is no because it's discipline. Maybe, just thinking of Stella here, maybe Stella had a really bad day that day. Maybe Stella was defiant. Maybe she was disobedient all day. And I think sometimes a child needs to learn and experience the consequences of their choices. Isn't that true? Every parent knows that. It is not loving to protect our children from all of the consequences of their choices. A loving parent wants their kids to know we don't live in a world, you don't live in a home where it's okay to smack mom. You don't live in a home where it's okay to like swear at dad or say no to mom and dad. That's not okay. And there are consequences to that. Well, in scripture, we call that discipline. It's training. So, so maybe sometimes the answer is no because it's discipline. There's something that that person needs to learn. And, and these, are, these are some of the reasons. I'm sure that there are, there are lots of others. But um, whether we're talking about Habakkuk or whether we're talking about any of the other, other sufferers in Scripture, you think of like Job or Joseph or David or Ruth or Esther or, or other people who cried out to God. And, and God didn't give them the thing that they asked for. Any one of these might have been the reason. All of these might have been the reason. Or the answer, the reason... The reason might have been none of these, but maybe something else that only God understands. And, and here's what I know at this point in my life, after a lot of prayers whose answers were no from God, okay? Here's what I know. I know that I may never learn the reason why, but that doesn't mean there isn't one. God may never give me an explanation for why the answer to my prayer in that, that scenario was no. He may not give me that explanation. That doesn't mean that there isn't one. 
He is the creator. And I'm the creation. He is he's the father. And, and I am the child. And, and, and that's why I love this, um, this thought from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen to this. He says, We need not become bewildered and doubt the love for the justice of God. If God were unkind enough to answer some of our prayers at once and in our way, we should be very impoverished Christians. Do you hear what he's saying? If God were unkind enough to answer some of our prayers at once, that would be the last thing that would be good for us. It's an idea that Tim Keller said more recently in his book on prayer. He said, God will either give us what we ask for in prayer, or he'll give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. God will either give us what we ask for in prayer, or he will give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. And, you know, I, I hope we can learn to pray along with Habakkuk this way. I, I hope that we can, we can accept that this is okay. It is okay to, to pray this way. God welcomes it. Even though God knows all the things that we don't know. Even though God knows how we sound. Even, he welcomes us to pray this way. I have this picture. I have this picture of God being a, a father who brings us up and sets us on his lap. Where we can reach him and we can cry and we can... Uh, you know, yell and pound on his chest and ask, how long? This isn't right. Why don't you do something? And he doesn't toss us off of his lap. He doesn't strike us down uh, with lightning. And, and, you know, he is the creator and, and God of the universe. And his children are allowed to approach him angry and confused and upset and we can come to him as, as, as children, as sons and daughters, and we do not need to be afraid. And do you know why that is? The reason that we can approach God like this is because another child of God suffered in our place. When he was in his agony, he cried out to God, and the answer was no. If there, if there was anybody in the whole world, if, if there was anybody in all of history who, who, whose suffering was undeserved, it was Jesus. Amen? If, if there was anyone in all of history who deserved to get a yes to his prayers, it was Jesus. Scripture tells us that uh, before he was arrested, he's, he's, he's in the garden in agony. And, and he, was in such, he, was, he was in such agony and turmoil that he was on his knees praying and he sweat drops of blood. He told his disciples, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. In Mark's gospel, he, he, uh, Mark tells us that Jesus went a little farther. He fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And Jesus said, Abba, Father, dear Father, Dad, please, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, what, not what I will, but what you will. Take this cup away from me, Father. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. I hope that you hear that. I hope that you hear that. It cannot possibly be wrong for you and I to bring our fear and our confusion and our anger and our complaints and our misery to God in prayer because here's the Son of God. And He is on His knees 
And he is scared and he's upset and bleeding and pleading with God. And he's confused and praying out, Father, there's got to be some other way. You can do all things. Surely there's another way. Why don't you save me? Why don't you, why don't you do something? And yet, not my will, but yours. And, and, and we read that and we're like, like, what is this? Does, doesn't God love him? Of course he does. Could, could God not have protected Jesus? Could, not, could the Father not have done something about it? Of course he could. He could snap his fingers and call down a legion of angels to rescue Jesus from the soldiers. And yet, here's the Son praying for rescue from the Father, and this time the answer is no. And if you and I had been there watching, if we had been there in the garden and we could see Jesus over there and he's praying, we would be like, why is this happening? How long, God, are you going to allow this to go on? This isn't right. He doesn't deserve this. We would never have imagined, you and I would never have imagined that in saying no to his son in the garden, God was bringing many more sons and daughters to glory. We could never have imagined that God's plan was to say no to Jesus in order to say yes to us. We could never have imagined that. In the same way, come back with me to Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5, the last verse in our passage this morning. And I want to close with God's response. Let's close with God's, by seeing God's response. If God were some like narcissistic, insecure, you know, Uh, self-absorbed pagan deity who is offended by questions. Habakkuk could not pray like this. Not a chance. And and if, if God, if the God of the Bible wants us to relate to him like we are, you know, slaves or like androids or soldiers just sort of following orders, we couldn't pray like this. And certainly he would not answer us. Except he does. He answers Habakkuk in in verse 5. He says, look at the nations, Habakkuk, and observe. Be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. In other words, look around, Habakkuk. Look at the nations. Uh, look, Look around at what's going on. I am doing something. I am doing something in your days. You're not even going to believe what I'm doing. You're asking how, like, how long before I act? How long before I respond? Habakkuk, I am. You ask, why don't I save? Why don't I do something? Habakkuk, I am. I think that we're being reminded of something really powerful, really important and beautiful here. He is our Father. We are his children. He's the creator. We're the creation. He's the Lord. And we are his people. There's, there's nothing like small and, or, or, or condescending about that. Okay? It's not an insult to think of ourselves as, as God's children. We, we don't expect a five-year-old to understand all the reasons why their parents' answer sometimes is no. We don't expect that. Why would we expect our human minds to be able to compute all the reasons why God's answer to our prayers is sometimes no? Why would we expect that? Why would we expect that God's answer to all of our prayers is going to be yes when his answer to his son Jesus' prayer was sometimes no? Why would we expect that? So so whatever our, our circumstances, whatever it is 
the, whatever is the, the suffering and the pain that you're walking through. And I know that some of us are walking through some things right now that are hard. I know that. And whatever, I want you to know, whatever you bring to God in prayer, if His answer is sometimes no, it's not because He doesn't love you. It's not because He can't respond. It's because He is doing something else that is so mind-blowing that when you see it, you're going to be astounded and astonished. Okay? Now, one of the, one of the regrets that I have in ministry uh, at this point, as I look back, one of the regrets that I carry with me in ministry is that I presumed to teach and explain away the problem of evil before, uh, I, was, before I was a parent, before I had experienced much suffering as an adult, uh, and, and um, before I had worked through my own issues of trauma and, and pain and wounding. And, and if I had it to do over again, I wouldn't attempt to try and explain away the problem of evil. I wouldn't attempt to try and deal with the problem of, of pain and suffering until I were much more mature, much older, had experienced some, some suffering myself, had children of my own. Because I realize now that in the hands of the wrong person, the idea that God is sovereign is a weapon. And I did that. I know that I did that. And what I want us to hear today, what I think Habakkuk reminds us of today is that it is of our position before God and our status before God. Okay? We relate to God as children, and that doesn't mean that we're childish. We relate to God as his children, not because he thinks that we are childish, but because he knows that he's our father. And I, I hope that we can receive that this morning. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.